You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since We are you back. Can eat that roast beef. <laughs> yes. Ooh, I recommend the roast beef. <laughs> it's the best in town. I'll be here all week. Try the Nina Harley. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> is that what they call that now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we were being immature and ridiculous. We got an early start. I've already had yes. a couple shots of coffee. Uh, Todd's feeling it. We're all feeling it. Life is good. Feeling a couple things right now. <laughs> yes. I am too. <laughs> First one that comes to mind is inadequacy. All right. <laughs> All right. The other one that comes to mind is age. Mm. Uh, I had to think for a minute. Did I piss before we started? Uh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Actually, the thing that came to my mind was scrotum, but you know, yeah, hey. Well, there you go. It's it's similar. Same yeah. ball. Same ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boom. <laughs> yeah. I'll be here all yeah, week. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. Cabals. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the GGTMC. We are back on the air. And mature as ever. That's right. Uh, this week we are covering a couple of interesting little picks. Uh, something new, something old, something blue, mm-hmm. something cold. Uh, Blast of Silence, 1961. Uh, many of you may have heard of this. We'll talk about that a little bit. A lot to talk about there. And uh, The Signal in 2014, something I've wanted to talk about since I saw it a few years back. Uh, I found it interesting. And uh, we'll talk about those two um, today on this very show. Right here, right now. That you either download Van Halen it, yeah, say. or you stream. So you took the effort to listen to these two yahoos <laughs> talk about movies. So we thank you for that. Oh, you poor bastards. Yes, I feel sorry for you, but I'm very happy you did so. Yes. Yes. All right. That's all we're going to be covering. What have we been watching? I haven't watched much. I did watch something other than uh, what was for the show. So at least I got that going for me this week. But uh, good. Not much. Go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, I got almost nothing this week. Um, yeah, well, there you go. I watched Scotty and the Secret History of Hollywood uh, about the famous or infamous Scotty Bowers. Uh, who oh, yeah. was, that, yeah, he was kind of like, uh, that guy screwed everybody. 
Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> or it, at least he, he says so. That's what um, he says he did, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's that. And then there's this whole, his whole thing about you know having a, a stable of uh, gigolos mm. uh, that he would uh, – hook up with uh with certain hollywood people you know who wanted who were still in the closet and then obviously that was a time when they kind of had to be um yes and you know it's okay as far as documentaries go um it's mildly salacious in as much as you know listening to scotty kind of uh brag about his uh his conquests and what he did um i never saw that yet but i do or maybe i did but i do remember the preview i remember thinking man scotty likes to talk oh he does <laughs> he likes to talk about himself a lot uh unfortunately the documentary kind of meanders um a bit a bit too much actually it's you know we're not we're not really there because we want to watch him digging through his piles of junk. Although we, I get why we're doing this. Um, you know, why we're showing this, uh, the most interesting thing to me, aside from what he used to do, what he's known for, uh, is the relationship that he now has with his wife who kind of had no idea of his, uh, his past, yeah. uh, and you know what he used to get up to. Letterbox really needs to work on their search engine because you just type in Scotty. You know, okay. I'm just looking to see if I've seen it or not, if I watched it or not. The first movie that comes up is Braveheart. Now, come on. That makes sense. It's Scottish. <laughs> yeah. Come on now. Come on. Huh? Yeah, no, they're, they're, that's really, yeah, they're <laughs> they're kind of shitty. And you know you know what I don't like as well is when uh, you're on your movies, the movies that you watched, uh-huh. uh, they don't have like a, a, a thing, a button to sort it by, like, if, if you've already watched something, oh, like yeah. it won't bring it up again. I know. I know. <laughs> that drives me berserk, especially with berserk. the show. I have not watched it. I want to make sure. I, I've seen an extensive preview or something. Yeah. But I have not seen this yet. So I was a little well, worried other- that I might be irritated with Scotty himself. <clears throat> oh, you will be because I was. <clears throat> he is, uh, you know, obnoxious? on the one hand, on the one hand, yeah, he's, he's real obnoxious. And he's kind of, he comes off as kind of broken. Mm. Um, because of a certain, you know, certain events that happened when he was very, very, very young. Uh, but he just treats it like, yeah, this was normal. That's what I did. So I was turning, you know, I was tricking this one out. I was tricking that one out. I was tricking, you know, when he was like 10 years old. And then, you know, so what if a, a guy wants to have his you know, mouth on my dick, whatever. And I'm just, I'm just sitting there thinking to myself, it's not really okay though. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. but there's no kind of, there's no kind of. Uh, it's just presented. It's just matter of fact. Uh, so there's no real, no real. Pathos. There's no real uh, sense of depth into mm-hmm. you know perhaps what's going on in in Scotty's head. It's just yeah. kind of the Scotty show, yeah. uh, like you know, love it or lump it. Um, so I could see Scotty being very off-putting to certain people, uh, but, but I could also see him being a hero to some people. Um, and you know, you can kind of respect it either way. Um, but yeah, I found him kind of unsavory in uh, in a lot of ways, uh, personally. Uh, granted, that didn't that's not what you know kind of diminished uh, my enjoyment of the documentary. My enjoyment of the documentary was diminished by it being kind of you know, like I said, meandering. It doesn't really stay focused, yeah, uh, or, or as focused as it should, or as well I should say as well structured, yeah, uh, as I as I think that it should have been. I think docu- uh, in order to pull this off, documentary filmmaking has become the low budget filmmaking, right? Yeah, it has, and, and, and the reason. And with that, I'm just, I'll, let me get this point out first. With sure, that, sure. I think you see a lot of amateur filmmakers 
it, it reminds me of the the bad horror film days. Well, there's still some of those around, but it just or reminds, let's say the found footage days. Yes, and it's become that genre. And unfortunately, a lot of documentaries I've seen lately. I started watching one that I've been really wanting to see badly yesterday, and I'll, I'll mention it now because I because I plan on finishing it because it's very interesting. But man, the way it's shot drives me up a fucking wall. Oh, I could imagine. And it's called a uh, Bob Lazar Area Fifty One. Oh Sausage. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so oh, yeah I'm, I would, uh, where's that at? It's on, where's Net- that? it's on Netflix now. Is it? Yes. Okay, cool, cool. I'm gonna have to get to that one. I've but, been meaning to uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, to, li- to watch yeah. that one. Yeah, but it's gonna probably drive you bonkers. Uh, I would be surprised oh, really? if it doesn't, to considering what you told me you thought about the signal. <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a well, genre now. About- it's, it, well, it's, it's a foot into the, into the industry now. And I think a lot of times, I mean, obviously I think there's good filmmakers that come in, but I think there are a dime a dozen now. I think the documentary field has become, it's become gluttonous with, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Subpar product. And yeah. subpar filmmakers, unfortunately. Well, that's what you get with the "quote unquote" democratization of filmmaking. Yeah, um, iPhones, is that, you know, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's another thing is that you know, and like you were saying, a lot of people who make a, uh, documentaries uh, do not understand documentaries. Yes, um, it's not simply um, give me the facts. Yeah, it's you know, there needs to be a little bit of something. There needs to be some kind of a through line, and you need to actually look at the connective tissue that you're linking all this stuff together. It's yeah. not just you know, cut from this to that, cut from yeah. this to that. I need a story. You know, yeah, I need a story. You do that's... need some kind of yeah. I mean, look, you, anybody who wants to get into documentary documentary filmmaking should look at you know anything uh, pre nineteen ninety nine or even you know two thousand. I'll tell you one of the best documentaries I've seen over the last five years. Mm-hmm. Is directed by Jay Chiel, the guy. That ho- he's one oh of yeah, I've been. Yeah, I've, yeah, I always want to track his stuff down. I can the, never find it. Yeah, one of the hosts of the uh, Film Junk podcast. Yeah, his documentary "How to Build a Time Machine" is a perfect example of how to make a documentary. It's oh, one, cool. It's one of the best ones I've seen over the last five years. I've actually thought about reaching out to Jay and having him on the show because he's a bit. Of, he's a he's a genre guy. He loves genre yes. films, and I think he'd love to be on the show, but. Uh, almost a little intimidated after I saw his documentaries, both of his documentaries, Beauty Day and How to Build a Time Machine. Well, and uh, A Very Jerry Christmas. Yeah, he has A Very Jerry Christmas as well. He intimidates me a little bit, not in a bad way, but just because I believe he's a very talented guy and is a super great filmmaker. And, uh, you know, I'm interested in what he's going to be doing next. uh, So, uh, you know, there's some intimidation there for me, but not not in a bad way. Just, you know, just in that way that I kind of admire him. I don't know how he would feel about that. He seems <laughs> he seems to be a very down to earth guy. So yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. but that that is a great example. If you guys have not seen How to Build a Time Machine, try to find a copy of it. Try to find it somehow, some way. Watch it. I'd be amazed if people didn't love it. Cool. Yeah. No, I definitely have been uh, have been meaning to get to those. I just can never get my hands on them, so to speak. Uh, so I don't know. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, now I'm gonna have to look today. Um, yeah, you're gonna have to do some work. Yeah, damn it. Uh, so, yeah, but uh, like I was saying, documentaries is a very specialized field, yes. and it takes a certain it takes a certain it's that it takes a cer- certain mindset. Uh, it's not the same thing as narrative film, and it doesn't you know, and it really shouldn't be, but it, it does need to have certain narrative elements in it. Um, and a lot of people just don't think about that. They think about oh, I'm going to point a camera and then I'm going to throw it all together, and bam, there's a movie, uh, which is kind of the. I mean, like I said, like I said about the you know. 
Yeah, it's a democratization thing. It's yeah. all. And some it's of, not the same thing as. Uh, it's not the same thing as actually knowing what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, and, um, some, and some of those talking head documentaries aren't bad as long as the, as long as the the filmmaking can be amateurish. I should say, as long as the subject matter is incredibly interesting. I mean, you you can get away with that. It, you but, could, but you gotta have it's it's got to be super interesting. I mean, it really does. Like I think of the the Canon film documentary, which I don't think is a very good, well made documentary, mm-hmm. but. The story of Canon Films is so interesting that I can kind of get through it and be fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look at here's a good one. Uh, the uh, Not Quite Hollywood. Ah, that's a perfect. Or example. Machete Maidens Unleashed. Yeah, those are both perfect examples. They're yes. both great. You know. Yeah, they're, uh, they're great, great stories, to, but they're they're shoddily made. I mean, they're just you know. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah, yeah. made that. <laughs> yes. Um. So there was that. Uh. So yeah. I mean, buyer beware as far as Scotty. Uh, and the secret history of Hollywood. And I don't want to shun anybody. By the way, I just want to make sure I say this because I know one of our fellow podcasters made a film recently. I don't want to say that anybody can do it. I think it takes a very brave person to make a documentary, and bravo to them because I have never done it. Uh, Todd can, I'm sure he vouches and says the same thing. He has never done it. So I think it takes a certain amount of bravery. That oh, we- well, not true. I did make an hour-long documentary. It sucks ass, though. Oh, so, there we go. There we go. Todd tried. Just to, but, and that's why I never put it out there for anybody to see. There we go. So Todd tried. Because I, I recognize that, you know. I've never tried. The only documentary I shot, I think I may have shot a, uh, some uh, scenes of me taking a crap. Ooh. But, uh, you know, those unfortunately made it to the internet anyway. And so. get that up. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> now I talk about a Sammy search. Yeah, Sammy shines <laughs> <laughs> in his debut. <laughs> no, I, I, I admire anybody that actually goes for it. I really do because yeah, absolutely. regardless if you fail or if you succeed, you at least tried. And I find, yep. I find, I find that to be very impressive. Yeah, no, it is. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I've been scared. I've, I've never done it. Maybe I should, but just never have. Anyway, moving on. All righty. <laughs> uh, went from that. And then I watched Curry and Pepper. Uh, from 1990, directed by Blackie Ko Saolung. Uh, and this is a little uh, Asian, not Asian, uh, Hong Kong movie um, starring Jackie Chung and Stephen Chow and the beautiful Anne Bridgewater. Uh, and of course, it has Eric Sang in there. And it's a little buddy cop movie uh, that's actually really, really enjoyable. Um, it's as, you know, disjointed and scattershot as anything, uh, from 1990s Hong Kong. Um, but it was also a hell of a lot of fun. Um, and then plus I'm, I'm a mark for Stephen Chow. I, I really like him when he's on screen. I think he has a, a, a fantastic, that he is like close to being the Chinese Buster Keaton for me. Yeah. Just just the reactions, the deadpan reactions that he does. Yeah, he is uh, he is in the, in the same ballpark as Jackie Chan, Buster Keaton. He's in he's in that ballpark, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah. So so anything that uh, that he comes up with, you know, I usually am, am interested in in checking out. Um didn't particularly care for his uh, Journey to the West uh film, but that's, you know, he neither here nor there. Uh but this one was good. I would definitely go recommending it. Uh, I'd go about a seven on it, um, and yeah, I know there was I know there was at least one or two sequels to this. I don't know if he was in them or not, uh, but I'm going to be you know digging around and seeing what I can find. Uh, that's the beauty of uh, having Netflix DVD plan is that you find some really weird shit. Uh, a lot of it usually goes to the save queue forever, but uh, the stuff that you actually find that they have uh, is usually pretty uh, pretty interesting, uh, especially with stuff like this. And I, I was actually really surprised at how good the uh, 
the print of this was because uh, it wasn't nearly as shitty as I would have expected. Uh, or maybe it's just that, you know, my television's uh, up uh, – what do they call it? Up uh, scaling. Um, yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, improved it that much. Um, so, yeah, I would, I would definitely go recommending this one. Uh, and then – I think there may have been something else, but Letterboxd is not bringing it up for me. So I may not have logged it. And I cannot remember what it would have been off the top of my head. Uh, so that's what I got. <laughs> uh, I didn't watch much, but I watched a, well, what might be considered a big one for some folks. Um, watch Captain Marvel, okay. the Disney movie and stuff. Um, yeah, you said you were going to watch that with your, uh, yeah. your boy. Well, yeah, he made it about 45 minutes into it and he came down. <laughs> I, I man, I admire so much people that can just walk away from something. Yeah, I can't. I I gotta finish. Yeah, I gotta see I it. Th- yeah, I gotta see it through too because you never know if it's gonna be, uh, you know, if the second half's gonna be better than the first half. Blah blah yeah. blah. You, we, it's all the movie stuff we've all talked about. Yeah, something has to really put me off in order for me to turn it off early. Um, but we he made it about like I said he made it about. Uh, 45 minutes into it he came back around and i was in another room finishing it off and he ended up watching the finale and he kind of enjoyed the finale but he just didn't find captain marvel very interesting the character and he didn't find some of the other characters interesting i think what he really wanted was i think this is kind of the unfortunate thing about Endgame and infinity war when you put everybody in the same movie I think mm-hmm. you you inevitably as a kid I think you want those characters to keep showing up. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he kind of had some hard time processing, you know, the the Nick Fury stuff and and all that kind of stuff. He just wasn't really interested really. I mean, he could process it, he just wasn't really interested. I got to say the film's not great. I didn't love it. Uh, okay. uh I I I find Brie Larson to be very is that her name? Yes, right? Yes. I yeah. find her to be very charismatic and I like her a lot. I really do. Um I find her a bit dead in the water in this movie and I found her a bit dead in the water in every Captain Marvel appearance she's done only because she has this stoic thing that I just don't care for. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's a little too stoic. I don't mind you being stoic, but it's a little, it's a little like, okay. Uh, it almost feels like one of those things where, okay, you're cool, but you're not as cool as you think you are. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a petty thing. But uh, the film is pretty well shot, and the story's pretty well told. I just, I don't know. It just doesn't have that bang, I think, for its buck that I really wanted. Um, and I hope, I think that they can do better. It just didn't, I was kind of hoping for a Guardians of the Galaxy type thing, but. Okay, so it's not uh, it's not quite as light as that, would you say? Yes, maybe not as light. And they, I don't they think. Seem to, they seem to really have a problem with their origin movies. They really do. and And I think that the heavy in the movie is not as interesting as they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ben Mendelsohn's pretty fun in the movie, and I think that whole scroll side story's very good. Uh, I would like more of that. But, okay. um, yeah, some of the stuff, you know, I feel like they could have used some more Ronin. I feel like, you know, we could always use some more Ronin and uh, some more stuff like that. But, you know, it, it was it was fine. It was entertaining. It was just not blow your socks off it is really nice again i'll say this same thing i said about black panther it is nice we live in a world where these movies are blockbusters and they star females and minorities and things like that and as much as that's not a thing you need to say anymore i still think it kind of is a thing you need to say because still the majority of these films are you know i don't know white guy wet dreams in a lot of ways to me and uh it's really nice to see these films headlined by people and 
and the properties themselves bringing people to the movie theaters because, uh, you know, Brie Larson's a pretty respected actress, but not a movie star, I wouldn't say. And, uh, you know, same thing with um, <clears throat> uh, whatever the, his name is that plays Black Panther. I mean, it's not a movie star, but he is now. Right, right. Uh, and he's really good. And I think that I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I feel so embarrassed. But, you know, obviously you can't either because you would have said it by now. <laughs> anyway. Drawing a blank. Yep. Anyway, neither here nor there. I think the movie looks good, but I think you can, you know, Marvel's got a lot of money to throw around. And uh, I think they can make anything look good. I don't think it was perfect. Uh, well, not perfect, but very. I had some problems with this, some of the way it was made. And uh, some of the some of the stuff, some of the comedy was okay. Mm-hmm. Some of the comedy I did not like. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I'm into Nick Fury as a com- a comedian. I don't know if I'm into that. <laughs> I mean, obviously Sam Jackson does. He does that stuff great. He's great at deadpan stuff. Uh, but you know, whatever. I did like his little line where he says he can't eat. To- if somebody cuts a uh, toast diagonally, he can't eat it. <laughs> I like that because I have little quirks like that about me. I can't eat with a big spoon. Uh, there's certain you foods I will can't not- drink coffee out of a glass uh, mug. Uh, yeah, so a clear glass mug. I can't. Uh, there's certain things I can't eat on paper plates or plastic plates. I have to eat them on hard plates. And my wife's the same way. It's just little little quirks that I find interesting about human beings. So wow. apparently, <laughs> I'm just a slob then because <laughs> uh, you, you these trust things me. just don't bother me. You got something, trust me. Everybody's oh, got I something. guarantee it. But I can't. Mm-hmm. Nothing's springing to mind. Everybody's well, got something. Everybody's got something. Just, I think I will take the next hour to soul search on this and yeah, get back to you. Please do. While, while you're looking for how to build a time machine, try to figure out. Yes. 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 No, but I mean, it was entertaining and it was fine, but it was a lesser Marvel movie to me. I'd put it in there. I'd say Black Panther was a little bit better, but I'd say it, it's right there. Uh, I find Marvel's in an interesting spot because I don't know what they're going to do with some of their more ancillary characters. Captain Marvel was a big gamble, I think, in my opinion, because that was never to me. And I don't know, you can speak to this too, because you're a comic book guy like I was growing up. Captain Marvel, to me, was never, this is going to sound piggish, but I don't mean it to. My Captain Marvel was a male. Uh, yeah. Not yeah, the it female. Was Cap- Cap- it was Marvel. Yeah, it was Marvel. It wasn't yeah. the, the female Captain Marvel. But I never found her very interesting as a character, even in the animated world, much less the comic book world. Um, I found the Krees and the Scrolls very interesting, but I just never found Captain Marvel very interesting. Like I, she always felt like she was supposed to be like Marvel Universe's Green Lantern, but not as interesting as Green Lantern. So right, right. Um, I thought it was a big gamble, and I'm I'm glad it paid off for them. It pretty much tells them they're they're Teflon Dons in a lot of ways cinematically. I'm pretty sure at this point, Marvel could probably make they could probably even bring some of their even more, maybe their C grade characters and maybe even make a movie out of them. Well, maybe. I'm going to tell you something. I'm currently going to campaign, uh, for the, uh, the wood God movie. Mm. Cause man, that needs to be made. That would be interesting. And the other thing, if they, if, and when they get around to a fantastic four movie, there better be Salem seven in there. <laughs> yeah. Damn I, it. I have a feeling they might roll the dice on her now that they own the rights and everything. I've had a feeling that they may roll the dice on fantastic four again. I think they will. I and think they will. I think we'll get another origin film, unfortunately. Oh, I don't want that. I know. Uh, but I think Van, the problem is the Fantastic Four, or as Sammy says, the Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> the problem is is that their origin story is one of those classic great origin stories, right? Like It's, yeah, it's yeah. like one of the origin stories. We talked about that with Spider-Man and Batman. I'd say we didn't bring it up at the time, but I'd say Fantastic Four is right there. I mean, that is a great comic book origin story, if not one of the greatest. 
And so I think you're going to see some interesting, now that Disney owns Fox, right? I think you're going to see some interesting reboots of some of that stuff. And uh, I don't know, though, with Dark Phoenix's kind of a uh, failure at the box office. Uh, that, and which is interesting because that was a that is a fanboy favorite plotline. I was actually surprised it failed. So well, it's failed twice now. Uh, yeah. In Last Stand, it failed, and then in uh, in Dark Phoenix, it failed. So yeah. they I'm, really, I, I can't figure out why they can't figure it out. But yeah. I mean, I'm not a big X Men guy, so I, I, I never, was. I, yeah, I, I'm never. I've never that Dark Phoenix storyline doesn't mean a whole lot to me, but I do know. From the X Men arcs that I have read, it is one of the best ones, and oh, yeah. Yeah. I see why they went that way. But that they can't nail it seems kind of odd to me because even for an X Men dabbler such as myself, not a dazzler, a dabbler, uh, that would seem like one of the most cinematic. And they and it's interesting they've tried two of their most popular cross X Men crossovers. They tried the what the apocalypse thing and then they tried yep. the uh the dark phoenix thing and neither one really succeeded i think apocalypse was a bigger hit than uh dark phoenix was but oh so, it was so terrible though so i felt so bad for jason isaac so, so or oscar isaac oscar isaac yeah <laughs> even him what was that oh jason isaac was the guy in event horizon never yeah. mind okay yeah so the um the um i guess they could do house of m or or something else but there's a lot of great X-Men stories. Even though I'm not a big X-Men guy, there's a lot of great X-Men stories because the X-Men pretends itself to to, you know, civil rights and all kinds of stuff. So, you could do a yeah. lot of stuff politically with the X-Men. And, you could. And I think they're going to reboot. If you ask me, they'll reboot the whole thing because Hugh Jackman's now out as Wolverine. I think they're going to look for there's dollars to be made in the Wolverine character, so I think you'll see a well, unfortunately, I think you'll see another reboot. So yeah, no, I think you will. Yeah. Um, I think that what what uh, the Marvel movies really do right, or, or I should say, when they're really right, uh, is when they marry uh, the superhero stuff onto an established genre. Like perfect example, Captain America: Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, it's not just a Captain America story. It's you know, it's not just a superhero story. I should say. It's you know, uh, it's basically something like Parallax View, um, yeah, but with Captain America characters in it. Yeah, that's really um, should be the template they with, should take. Yeah, yeah. Uh, same thing with you know Thor Ragnarok. It's basically Flash Gordon mm -hmm. uh, with Thor and the Hulk. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I, when they do that, when they when they marry those two things together and don't just strictly try and keep it uh, as an, a simple adaptation of comic books that are you know fifty years old. Uh, then they they tend to work a hell of a lot better, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, the more I get away, the more I've seen them all now, or most of them now. I am truly impressed with what they pulled off with uh, the Avengers films because I think it's really, really tough. Yeah. To put that many characters, even when I read comics or read comics as a grown man or even as a young man. It was always the Justice League and Avenger books could be tough because you wanted certain characters to have moments and they wouldn't mm -hmm. get them, and then certain other characters would get them, and mm -hmm. and you know just depend on the create the creative team at the time. Uh, and now that I, you know the, when I see some of these other films uh, like Black Panther and Captain Marvel, which I think is the last two I've watched, I find it very impressive what the uh, the Russo brothers did. And uh, yeah, I mean it, it's pretty impressive. I got to say, I'm, oh, it's extremely impressive. And you know, I'm, I'm still looking forward to the new mutants movie, even though I've kind of heard a couple of shaky things about it. Um, yeah, you know, nothing, nothing yeah, yeah. horrifically. Well, yeah, nothing horrifically terrible. But I have heard, you know, it might be a little bit, uh, 
in a little bit of trouble. Uh, but that's another thing where, you know, I saw the trailer for it and I'm like, I'm behind this. It, you know, it's a horror movie uh, with the new mutants in it, even though they didn't use my my breakdancing Save the Rec Center new mutants idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, at least they're doing something that, uh, you know, is a little more interesting than just saying, you know, these are the X babies. Mm-hmm. Yes. They could do something interesting there, and I have I do remember seeing the trailer and thinking, well, that could be nice. That could be a nice it different could be, touch. Yeah. But I am a little worried about that uh, property as well because I've heard nothing but uh, bad news, and then of course, Dark Phoenix underperformances. Well, it doesn't help worry, any so. that that was before the before Marvel got the rights back to the characters, yeah. right? Yeah. So, I mean, they might bury it. I doubt they will. I think they'll just reshoot some stuff, and that would be my that would be my guess. They'll try and save it in reshoots. Yep. Yep. So. And then there's but that's also, of, like I said, assuming that there's actually something yeah, yeah. There's bad, parts, bad going there's on. There's parts of me that worry about that, too, because maybe it might have been more interesting if they just put it out the way it is. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it just it's so different maybe. than other superhero films that some of, they're scared to put it out. Fox was scared sure. to put it out, so who knows. Sure, anyway, sure. at this point, I think, you know, still, you're pretty much bulletproof if you can get a pretty charismatic actor in a superhero suit and put it out there. It seems to be the genre of all genres right now. Yes, it's like a yeah, Stallone or Schwarzenegger picture in the '80s and 90, early '90s. Well, maybe just the '80s. <laughs> Definitely 90s. the '80s, yes. '90s, yes, '50s, '50s. Things start falling apart. Yeah, and I—it's interesting how long it stuck around. I really, I really can't believe, and I don't mean this is an insult. I really can't believe how long comic book films have maintained their uh, popularity. I really can't believe it. Um, people love I just them. Figured 19 years now. Yeah, it's crazy, ain't it? So mm-hmm. anyway. That's all we watched. We managed to make something out of it a half an hour. So there we go. We're going to go to break. And then when we come back, I guess we'll talk. We'll do our chronological thing. I guess we'll do Blast of Silence first. All righty. All right. So we'll be back right after this. I've got something to tell you. I think that you ought to know. I've had my eyes on you, babe, since a long time ago And now I finally got the nerve and I'm gonna make my move Now don't you try to turn me off, cause it's gonna be hard to do I gotta think about you, baby, ain't nothing I can do I gotta think about you, baby, think about love about a little deep south country funk music a little tony joe white man ahead of his time indeed that's all right i don't think he ever really he got a lot of success but then he just kind of disappeared he's still around though uh, still out there got a great uh, southern drawl when he talks <laughs> louisiana louisiana all right we are back we are talking about blast of silence I have nothing ready, but I'm going to go with it uh, because I know what I'm doing. I've been around for a while, and I can figure out how to fill airtime. been doing it for a while. Plot synopsis, 1961, directed by Alan Barron. A hired killer from Cleveland has a job to do on a second-string mob boss in New York. But a special girl from his past, which is why I played that song, by the way, and a fat gun dealer with pet rats, each gets in his way. Thank you for that plot synopsis. <laughs> a fat gun dealer with pet rats. That's a movie I want to see. 
Well, you got to admit it's accurate. It is. And you know what? I, I really found the performance of uh, Larry Tucker as Big Ralph endearing. I really, uh, I really like that character. He's such a sleazeball and yet such a pathetic character. Yeah, but yeah. Well, we can. We'll get into it. Yes, we will. Um, so you just picked this film. I don't know if you want to lead on it or if you want me to lead on it. Uh, since you um, it, I'm fine either way. Whatever way you want to go, brother. I'm always going to let you make the decision because you are the host or the guest, oh. and I'm the host. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? I think, I, yeah, I'll take the lead on this one. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so uh, you get uh, shot out of a cannon right from the very uh, the beginning of the film, almost literally. Uh, it's a tunnel, you know, with the um, the train coming into the station uh, with the arrival of the Alan Baron character. Um, and it's you know immediately you get the, the jazz score you get uh, the voiceover, and um, between the voiceover and the the jazzy score, uh, this thing is just strictly born of the the hep fifties, um, but it also plays a lot like an Italian neo realist film. Yeah, uh, it has a lot of handheld camera. It has uh, a very documentarian observational sort of view of the world around the uh, the Bruno character who or not Bruno uh Bono uh Bono Bruno Bono Frankie Bruno Frankie Bono that's it um <laughs> Frankie Bono and, not to be confused with a certain other Bono um yes. but uh, but yeah so uh, you know it, it, the, the, those elements in and of themselves are very very interesting and obviously they're uh they come from the low budget uh, origins of the thing. This this being uh, you know an independent production, um, and that to me is the most interesting stuff. Just seeing how you know everything was in 1961 or 1960, whenever this was uh, actually shot, um, and you know that's the appeal is really uh, is in that time that. That snapshot uh, mm-hmm. of the uh, the city and life and all that sort of thing, yeah. and I think that I think that Baron makes a really good use of it, and he also makes very good use of the uh, New York in general. Yes, um, because he does some fantastic shots uh, where he has uh, himself, you know, just in this these environments, mm-hmm. um, and they're always you know massive. They're always you know engulfing. There's this the, the great shot after a certain something happens. Where he's walking down the street, and it's just you know, he just sits the camera low, uh, and it's he's way off in the distance, and it just you know watches him walk straight towards the camera, right into the camera, and it's just great. Yeah, uh, Martin Scorsese cannot claim he did not see this movie. <laughs> yeah, no. There's there's no, no, there's no. some real strong though, but just all joking aside, there is some real strong uh, taxi driver vibes in the film. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, me, yeah, I mean, definitely. I, the only thing about watching this movie again this time around, and maybe I, I'm pretty sure I felt this way this time. Lionel Sanders, great. He's got a great voice. Lionel Sanders does. If those yep. of you don't know who he is, look him up. You, you've seen him in something. He's got a great face, a great voice. Uh, and then of course, if you watched Heart to Heart growing up, right? My name is Max. Yeah, that's right. My name is Max. Um, you'll know that voice. But there, for me. This time watching it, I thought to myself, there is too much narration. I think that 
there's almost well, yeah, no, I, I do believe honestly. If I had one, if I had two issues with the film, it was the the over the overage of narration, mm-hmm. and somehow sometimes the score would kind of get in the way for me. It's fun. The score, the score, I could get uh, the score, I could understand. Although you know, I think that it, it's very, it's just very much of its time. It was you, yeah. you know, this was meant to be that way because this was kind of coming from the whole. Um, uh, what the hell uh the beatnik kind of thing the kerouacian sort of mm. uh vibe yes and and my opinion on the the voiceovers frankly uh i quite like it and it because i think that it's only really through the voiceover that we come to know frankie yeah uh and i think that without it uh, i don't know that we would want to follow along with him especially the way that he's portrayed by al uh by baron well i think i I'd, I'd, I'd be curious i don't know this i don't know this piece of information uh, so I can't claim that I do, and I didn't see on IMDb where it said it or any of the research I did. But I wonder if the film was shot without narration, because the narration was written by somebody else, if you look at the credits. Right, right. I'd wonder if the film was shot without narration, and because Alan Barron had to take the lead role, because I think he offered the lead role to Peter Falk. Uh, maybe That would have been something. Yeah, or maybe something else to Peter Falk, but I feel like he may have offered it to him. Anyway, mm-hmm. either way, Alan Barron's fine in the movie and his performance, but you're right, he doesn't really show his... I don't think he's gifted enough an actor to show everything that's going on inside his head. So the, I feel like maybe they saw the film and they thought, you know what, this film needs, it needs some narration because your acting isn't really on point. Or maybe even Alan Barron himself thought that. Now, Alan Barron only made three films. Uh, he made some TV shows and things like that. But he is a notorious Hollywood figure. Not popular, but notorious. And this gives me my segue I wanted to talk about just last year. He was accused of sexual harassment at the age of 91 after taking some Cialis and wanting his assistant to uh, rub his uh, rub his baron, for lack of a better <laughs> word. <laughs> well, his, his German helmet. Um, Jawohl. <laughs> but, Where are your papers? <laughs> what, <laughs> please touch this. Where are your papers? Um, it is true that uh, he is a character... To say the least. Uh, again, uh, I was telling Todd, I remember an interview he did with Mike White from the projection booth. And Mike was kind of blown away with uh, the way he reacted to things. I was kind of blown away when I listened to it. I don't know how Mike kept his cool. Uh, the guy is not a nice person. And uh, I don't know if that comes from frustration in Hollywood or what that comes from. But maybe it's just his attitude. But I've never seen his other two films, so I don't know his his film work i've seen some of his tv work probably inadvertently because he did some pretty popular tv shows everything from the dukes of hazard i think even he did some of that so okay um so i'm sure i've seen some of alan Barron's other work but this is the film he's most known for and uh you know he's just well, he, he's a real character you kind of you kind of get the impression uh that he is essentially like a duke mitchell uh yes, in certain ways, maybe, maybe with a bit more talent. Yes, with, with, well, definitely with more <laughs> filmmaking talent. Uh, yes. But that same sort of yeah. ego, um, that I think just kind of is a little more uh, destructive than it than it should be. Yeah, that's that's a good example, actually. Him and Duke Mitchell, that's a good example. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good one. I didn't put it together, so I I'm going <laughs> to say that it's a good one. But he is uh, well. Speaking of, uh, you know, his look is great. Uh, Baron's look. He is the spit of Lino Ventura. Um, yeah, yeah. So like a more slender, yeah. like maybe a more slender. Yeah. He does have. Let's 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 get this out in the open. He does run like Steven Seagal. 
He does run a little bit like that, yeah. <laughs> kind of chicken wingy, yeah. It was very strange. I was watching it, I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> ooh, maybe, ooh, not so much there. Um, but, you know, you, you mentioned that Scorsese has to have seen this. I believe that, uh, I have to believe that Melville also saw this one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, though, uh, you know, the DeLon character in Le Samurai is, is more, like, poetic or noble in bearing. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Bono character here is pretty much a brute dealing with brutes. Yeah. Um, so that's, so a good, the, that's a good example you bring up, though, because there's Le Samurai is a great film. I, I think I was supposed to cover it on the show and I didn't get a chance to. Um, that film is a great example of not using narration. And, yeah. And be, but DeLone, for some reason, even though he doesn't emote a lot in that film, the way it's shot between him and Melville and stuff, you get everything you need without that narration. Yes. So yeah. it's just it's it's just you know it, it it is a bit of a I don't know white bread wheat bread type thing. I mean it, it's a bit yeah. of a choice. Um, but this film you can just feel the influence on filmmakers of the seventies. You can you can feel that you can feel like this kind of cracked that door open. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and and watching it again this time, I was like, man, how did I not see all this stuff from Cape from uh, March Scorsese's uh, version of Cape Fear to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To Goodfellas, to I mean everything he's done, this this yeah. film and Taxi Driver alone. I mean this film is so much, in so many ways. This film reminds me of Taxi Driver. It's unbelievable. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, it's it's unbelievable using real locations. Uh, you know, uh, using New York at the peri- at the time period, right? I mean, you know, Taxi Driver's made like what 13, 14 years later. Uh, about that, yeah. Yeah. And, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know him using New York as a character. Here, Alan Barron's using New York as a character. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, really, when you when you go back and look at it. How much it? I mean, if you used to watch this in Taxi Driver close back to back, you'd think that you know. Again, I'll I'll bring this up because everybody always brings it up. You know, the greatest filmmakers curb from their influences. That's that's what the great filmmakers do. Mm-hmm. And. Um, Scorsese here uh, riffing on Alan Barron. Thank God for Alan Barron because then we get, I get, you know, I, I get Taxi Driver, I get Goodfellas, I get Cape Fear. You know, I get, I get these films. So, man. 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Taxi Driver, then we move on to the Ralphie character. Yes. <laughs> um, Ralphie is the gun dealer uh, and he is the epitome of skeezy. Um, you know, he's sweaty, obese, and he has this really soft voice. Uh, and combined, these things are just Creepsville. Yes. Uh, and it doesn't help any that he does, in fact, keep rats. Um, you know, I guess from uh, – I guess he picks them up from his tenement or whatever, uh, throws them in a cage and just kind of keeps them as pets. You know, he's he's very lonely and pathetic. Yeah, um, almost borders on – again, I might just be reading this wrong, but I almost feel like he's attracted to the uh, the Frank Bono character, you do get that you do get that uh, that sense in the first meeting with him. Yes, especially um, the first meeting. But then, is. but the second meeting then is a completely different vibe uh, because you know, despite how kind of sad sacky he is, uh, he's also you know a very capable arm wrestler. Yes, <laughs> um, there's that that great shot where he's arm wrestling two guys and he you know he knocks them both down. Um, so and you, that you know you, that gives you the that gives you the idea that you know he's he's not so well. There's two things uh, that give you the the idea that he's not quite um, as pathetic as you might think, even yes. though he still is. Yeah. Um, one of those involves a lamp. The other one is the arm wrestling. Um, so yeah, but he's uh, he's totally out of 
you know, out of Taxi Driver or, yeah. or would influence Taxi Driver. Uh, and he's a very large part of this film uh, in as much as the more um, family uh, oriented uh, elements are. I, I don't want to say family because they weren't his family, but. Um, so well, anyway. Do you so know? Do you, you got, know anything else about Larry Tucker, the actor? I mean, he was. Do that, I? Uh, not off the top. He of my was. Head. Uh, he worked with Paul Mazursky a lot in the beginning. Oh, okay. So he was Alex in Wonderland, uh, Bob and Ted, and Carol and Alice, and uh, I think uh, the Alice B. Tolkis film. I think those early Mazursky films. He was very involved. Uh, ah. So he's you know he's a, he was a talented guy. So I mean. It, yeah, no, he's definitely he's definitely talented. Yeah. Uh, the yeah, uh, his performance is great. It's it's yeah, it's yeah. everything you said it was. It's skeevy, pathetic, yet something is. It reminds me. It does remind me very much of a Scorsese kind of character, in that you know he sometimes pretends or portrays characters to be kind of pathetic, but there's this hidden danger underneath them. Mm-hmm. This kind of yeah, so, there's something there's something boiling underneath there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, sorry. Just wanted to get, no, no, no. That's get okay. that out there by Larry Tucker because I'm not sure he'll no, be talking about means. a lot. Yeah, but it's a, it's by a great performance. Yeah. Uh, so this is another one of those films that people can argue about being a Christmas movie because um, <laughs> it does have a Christmas setting. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so there, stick that in your pipe, you guys, and smoke uh, it, smoke it, smoke it, <laughs> stick an egg in your shoe and beat it. Um, so, <sighs> so the Christmas setting uh, somehow makes the bono character and his world uh that much more isolated right because yes. he's always walking along we hear the carols going we see people doing christmas things but he's always alone right yep. um and that contrast between you know the spirit of the season and bono's need uh and or desire for loneliness um seems to come out well i, I don't even know if it's a desire for loneliness loneliness i think it's an inability uh, to connect with people, and yes. that's where you, yes. you come in with the uh, when he meets up with the people from his past. Yes, uh, which I'm assuming they were they were all at the orphanage together. Yes, um, yes, that's a great is, that's a great point. It's not that he chooses to be alone. I think it's that he's a broken man and he really doesn't know how to not be alone. And then his job accentuates that, or he doesn't yeah. know how to be with other people. I think you know throughout the film, and we should say the film's only seventy seven minutes, right? Uh yeah, seventy seven, seventy eight minutes. Uh, throughout the film, you can see that he he actually enjoys interaction with people. There's quite a few moments where he's with old friends or with people, and the character smiles and things like that. And you can see yeah. that he wants to be part of things. And I think yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. you see a lot of Alan Barron walking by himself during these. You know, Christmas is obviously a time when everybody gets together. I think it's interesting the way Barron handles that and i think it's actually pretty good i mean it, i i don't remember a lot of films about broken hit men getting into this much uh of the psychology uh this early uh, early 60s. oh definitely not no I mean, it was very it was very much more uh much more uh oh, fuck uh procedural yeah uh, although this is also procedural yeah. in a certain way well i say this is still yeah and but for the time period right it's it's kind of transgressive for the time period right because it's kind of it's like kind of like when we talked about White Heat with the Cagney character. You, you know, it, it's it's that era when we started to get behind, or at least get inside the head of bad characters, mm-hmm. of bad people. Before that, I think a lot of times you had to have white hat, black hat. But yeah, here yeah. you're starting to feel like you can. Re- I'm sure there's some aspect of the Alan Barron character in this Frank Bono 
that we can all relate to. I'm, I'm oh, sure absolutely. And I think that's the point of the movie. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, there's when he meets up with these folks from the orphanage, uh, you know, there's that attempt to be social, even though he claims to hate people. Um, and he, he also makes an attempt uh, to open his heart up uh, to the Laurie character. But he also, you know, he quickly explodes at her and then really, really goes too far with her. Way too far, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and every time, every time that he, you know, every time that he hits some level of disappointment, his first reaction is, you know, rage, uh, and lashing out, uh, and that's really where, you know, where you kind of get the, uh, the feel of, of just exactly what's going on underneath the surface of the character, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and of course you also have the uh, the peanut rolling uh, scene, the yes, nose yes. peanut rolling with your nose scene, yeah. which I don't know about you, but I don't, I can't think of another Hitman movie um, that uh, <laughs> makes it that real, uh, that goes, you know, yeah. that keeps it that real to, no. uh, to have that scene in there. Yeah, that's a new one for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I'd forgotten all about it, to be honest with you. Watching it this time, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They get down on their hands and knees and they roll some peanuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they do. Uh, and Frankie even wins this time. Yes. Uh, so uh, I got to ask you this one. Uh, is the bongo song dressed in black, uh, this movie's The Words Get Stuck in My Throat? <laughs> no. <laughs> because, man, that one got on my nerves. Uh, uh, this one didn't drive me as crazy as that one did, but it's still it wasn't a highlight <laughs> let's put that no it's yeah yeah uh, and it, but the, the, one of the saving graces of uh, of the one from war of the gargantuas is that you know we only got one song out of kip hamilton yes uh in that one we got two out of out of this cat yes we did. um so there's that uh and then, then even though uh frank uh frankie realizes he wants to be with somebody uh he's you know he's still a selfish guy right he can't take it when he learns certain things um and it's really that becomes the fatal flaw. Uh, that becomes yeah. you know his. It's funny because it, and again mirroring kind of Le Samurai. Um, you know the minute that he kind of makes a connection or tries to make a connection with somebody uh, and goes against what he's you know built up as this routine of his life uh, is essentially what winds up screwing him. Yes. Um, and uh, and you know then it all of course winds up being not not you know not so great. The finale is is really bleak. If we learn uh, anything you know, from movies, right? It's that if if you're a guy, if you're a hitman, you you can't open yourself up to the real world. You just cannot. No, you can't. And it, but it kind of makes sense. I mean, it makes sense to me. I'm not saying this because I'm experienced in this field, but I'm saying this as somebody that you know lives in the imaginary world of hitmen. If you if you wanted to live, if you wanted to survive in that world. Almost being non-existent is the only way you could. Well, but that's that's kind of the whole that's kind of the allure, right, of those sort of characters is that they it's they they give up their survival. Yes. Um, because you know this emotional connection is more important than them being able to survive. Yeah, and it works too uh, because of, you know most human beings, even though they won't admit it, most of us well, have all- a misanthropic nature to us. Yeah, there is some level of that in all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, we get to the finale. It's really bleak, not just in tone, but in look. I mean, you feel uh, the brutal weather going on. Oh my um, god! Yes, <laughs> and the, uh, the those fantastic boardwalks over the wetlands. Oh, that's great! They really, really accent uh, how at the end of the road, 
uh, Frankie is mm-hmm. by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just, it, it's great, uh, fantastic stuff. And it's just so stark, uh, as the whole film really is. I mean, the only, the only, the only scenes that really feel like they were trying to be a strictly Hollywood film are the scenes when he's with the other people, with the Laurie character uh, and his his buddy from the orphanage. Yeah, those yeah, feel yeah. like even though they they get you know they go a little bit left of field, obviously with certain things, um, they also you know feel the most like shot. Uh, of the the entire film, the rest of it feels you know gritty and dirty, uh, and just hard, um, and I you know that's a lot of uh, a lot of what makes this thing so good. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see here. Do, 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 do. Uh, that is the end of my notes, brother. Kick it yeah. over to you. Nice. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed watching this again. I hadn't seen this for a long time. I think I'd seen it back before. We started the podcast, actually, and I think Will had seen it in the life cycle of this podcast. We had never covered it that I'm aware of. Maybe Will had done it. There is you know, quite a bit of those midnight rides that uh, Will did that um, um, he covered some things that we probably would have covered or will cover at some point. He may have done this in one of those. I don't think so because those are usually Halloween-based, but yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway... Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure we've never covered this. Uh, we've, like I said before, we've reached that saturation point where I have to really, really, if even though there's millions of films we haven't seen or done for this show, it feels like every time I think of one, I have to go check and see if we've done it before. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, I'm so cautious of that. You know, I was that way with the music we played on the show. Now I don't even care about that anymore. If I love a song and I want to play it three times in a month, I'll do that. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. But the but obviously the crux of the show is covering films, and I don't want to cover, you know, I don't want to cover Blast of Silence next week when we did it this week. So, um, I don't feel like that's the case here. I don't feel like we ever did this one. So, but I feel like we've done so many things like that. So the what what I'm saying with that is I'm basically opening up my review to the fact that so many films have been influenced by this movie. It's it's very obvious. Some of my favorite filmmakers of all time. Mm-hmm. have been influenced by this particular film. And you can really feel that when you go back and watch it. Uh, again, Baron is not... It's, it's similar to the Mel Gibson thing. He's not somebody I would ever have dinner with or really want to talk to. Like, I wouldn't even want to interview this guy if I, if I had an opportunity because I just think he's a prick. But, you know, pricks. there's pricks out there that have talent. And uh, that's just the reality of the world. And uh, I, I will not deny for a minute that this film is very well made. This feels like a a film that he had to make and it feels like this kind of burst of energy and this kind of burst of creativity that comes along every now and then you see this every now and then with a with a filmmaker or something and or a writer or anything this all of a sudden this kind of burst of creativity and they kind of make their their masterpiece maybe and that, i would probably say not knowing of any baron's other films i would probably say this is his masterpiece and this is what he hangs his hat on because um it is very well made uh, mm-hmm. It is low budget. It's very interestingly shot. He takes very much advantage of the kind of guerrilla style filmmaking that a lot of New York filmmakers took advantage of, especially in the 70s. The exploitation guys, Larry Cohen and people like that. Um, he takes advantage of all that and, and to good measure because it really works. This kind of lone figure in this very busy city of um, communal, uh, I don't know, get get togetherness, unity. Uh, right, right, right. 
And then, of course, you know, the voice of Lionel Stander adds to it because Lionel Stander has this very throaty, uh, you know, 10 packs of cigarettes a day. Gravelly. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great voice. Uh, one of the great voices, arguably. And he does a great job of kind of portraying the things that Baron can't portray. Like I said, if there's a weakness to the movie, it's that to me that there's almost too much of it. But that's that's a minor quibble, really. I mean, it's not it's not a major it's not a deterrent to the movie. Mm-hmm. And for that matter, I got to say, even though there is too much for me in some ways, uh, I can't deny that the narration isn't well written. Uh, I, I think it is. It's, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. fun. It's fun in that kind of pot boily. Yep. You know Raymond Chandler, you know Mike Hammer way. Yeah, yeah, you know, let me let's see if I can let me see if I can find some lines here from the narration. I can do my Lionel Stander. Nice. Here. Let's see. If we get some quotes here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's pure. It's pure hard boiled uh, dialogue. Is yeah. what? It, well, dialogue monologue. He says, "If you want a woman, you buy one in the dark. She won't remember your face." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, they all hate the gun they hire. <laughs> when people look at you, baby boy Frankie Bono, they see death. Death across the counter. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't deny that. I just feel like there's too much of it. But uh, again, a minor quibble, minor quibble. I, I, you know, I, I I can't deny that that I I just love um, Stander's voice, and I love him in a lot of the films he did. And he was obviously my favorite part of uh, Heart to Heart growing up. Even though I didn't really watch the show, my mom and dad did, and I had to watch it. So. Yep. I always loved him, and I knew that then that there was something different about me. It's, again, one of those situations where I was always attracted. You know, obviously, heart to heart, there's some good-looking people in that show, Stephanie Powers in particular. Man, mm-hmm. the, when I got to be a teenager, rah, 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 you know? <laughs> but Lionel Stander was who I was attracted to as far as charisma goes because yeah, yeah. his face, his voice, you know, it's great. You're alone, but you don't mind that. You're a loner. <laughs> That's the way it should be. You've always been alone. By now, it's your trademark. You like it that way. Baby boy Frankie. (laughs) Baby boy Frankie Bono. Baby boy Frankie Bono. Might be what I call my penis when I'm in a gangster movie. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's 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 great. It's it's also the the, using those set using those scenes from New York too. One of the great things about doing that is when you shoot guerrilla style. What I've always loved and what I'll continue to always love about guerrilla-style filmmaking is you catch the era on film, right? Yes. Like you catch the 70s or you catch the 60s. And to see New York in the in the late late 50s, early 60s is so cool. Well, it's beautiful it's because it's unrehearsed. Yes. It's not, it's yeah. not staged. It's, yeah, you, you can know. even see moments when uh, people are looking at the camera in this film. And it's great. It's very. It's easy to see what he was doing. Like at one point when he's walking around Rockefeller Center, which looks like Rockefeller Center, I'm assuming it is. You can see the that they're just taking a car around the corner and just shooting him as he's walking. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. it's clearly not a dolly shot. This is a camera in a car. So, and you can see people looking at it every now and then, like, what the hell's going on? Um, but there's clearly he clearly had talent here, and and he shows it. Uh, it's really a shame. That either one, he couldn't get out of his own way, or two, he couldn't make something out of this stuff because I think he could have made quite a few good gangster pictures, definitely. Like he had the ability to do that. Um, unfortunately, it looks like he made his, you know, his masterpiece and then kind of went into oblivion in a lot of ways. Yeah. Some of the acting in the film is a bit amateurish, a bit stiff. The female character, uh, along, bit, yeah. yeah, the female character, I can't remember her name or the actress's name. The Lori character. Yeah, the Lori I don't remember character. her uh, her actual name off the top of my Molly head. Molly McCarthy. There you go. 
she's a little rough. Uh, uh yeah, she is a bit stiff. Yeah, she only has twelve credits to her name, so you know she gave it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't quite make it. Ooh, she was the principal in Over the Edge in nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> Ooh, get the hell out! Yeah, I didn't know that. Nice. Didn't know that at all. That's twice this week I've heard about Over the Edge. And she's in the Flamingo Kid. <laughs> How about that? She's in two Matt Dillon films. Two of the two of the last three films of her career are Matt Dillon films. What's what's what what's the relationship? Thanks, Matt. <laughs> well, actually, three, her last three films all have Matt Dillon in them. Is she, is she related to Matt Dillon somehow? <laughs> I can only imagine. I'm getting this vibe that you know it's it's a it's awful quinky dinky, don't you think? Uh huh. That's very strange. I don't have any IMDb trivia on her here to look at to kind of verify, but I'd wonder if she knew Matt or something because I find that very interesting. It, that can't be a coincidence that her last three films between 1979 and 1984 were Matt Dillon movies. So It does seem a little suspicious. That does, doesn't it? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, not a lot to know about her. I guess I'll Google that later. I just kind of came upon that just now, live on the air. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, she she's kind of rough in this movie, though. And uh, she does fine. I mean, she does what she can with the performance, but... It's uh, it's not, it's not as there's not as much pathos there as like there is with the Larry Tucker character or uh, some of that stuff. Now, even more Taxi Driver esque. Not only do you have the narration, the loneliness, the cars, New York and its time period, but you also have a sort of a violent third act. Yeah, and maybe I don't recall a film going back this early that has uh, an actual bullet wound to the face that shows. Uh, well, it's pretty graphic, actually, for its time period. In this sort of film, yes. In horror, not so much, because oh, you, you had yeah, yeah. films like you know Horror Party Beach, Flesh Eaters, yeah. that were going a little more gory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and would and would do those sorts of things. Yeah, we'll uh, but it was just certainly not in in uh, crime pictures. Yes. Uh, at the time, no. Yeah, but it definitely gets a bit of that vibe too. Even uh, a bullet hold to the cheek. I mean, if I recall correctly, yeah. in Taxi Driver. That's the same thing that happens in Taxi Driver. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Although Scorsese does take it like you know 10 steps further with his well, yeah, final shootout but uh I, yeah I, I was just struck by that struck by that again and this was, is very much a cult film before its time i don't think when he made it obviously this is kind of the beginning of the early 60s and mid 60s or really the beginning of the movie geek cult film era but i don't think anybody really knew what a quote-unquote cult film was yet i think that would come along like maybe 10 years later and this is one of the earliest examples to me. This and Johnny Guitar and and some of these other films that we talk about on the show because we are, even though we don't advertise as such, we, we are a bit of a cult film show. Mm-hmm. Um, this is in that ballpark, right? I mean, it's in there. It's in Hell's a Poppin' and Johnny Guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And these early kind of experiments in a way. And this is, in a lot of ways, this is an experiment. I don't think before this, I can't imagine there's a lot of films like this. So... Uh, if there is, I haven't seen them. So yeah, not many that I can think of. So it's very interesting, but yeah, I don't have a whole lot more to add. I mean, I think it's a great film still to this day. Uh, it's short, which always helps. But I think if it was longer, honestly, I think it would hurt it. I think by the fact that it is so short, I think that's one of its strengths. Honestly, because I honestly believe that if it was longer, if I had to deal with more narration and more uh, poppy jazz that was overlaying some of the scenes. I think I would probably go crazy. I think there's 
you know, again, there's still too much for me, but maybe just enough because the running time is so short. Mm-hmm. And it really pays off. The film really pays off. It pays off for the Frankie Bono character, and it pays off for the audience. Um, so it's a very simple story. If you go in watching this, you're not going to see anything. It's going to blow your socks off other than the fact that you're going to be like, whoa, so many of the filmmakers you probably enjoy obviously curbed a lot from Alan Barron and what he came up with here. So that's about all I got. 100% agree. Um Okay, so make or breaks MVTs. Uh, MVT for me is going to be Baron. Uh, it is his show from stem to stern, um, and he really does a, a fantastic job. Obviously, on a on a very very small uh, with small means. Uh, so there's that. Uh, make or break for me is the apartment fight. Uh, it is really brutal, and like you were just saying, um, you know, it's it feels real. Uh, and especially for the time, it, it's you know that's almost kind of shocking to see it in this context in this time. Mm-hmm. Um, and score for me is a seven point five out of ten. Uh, yeah, I mean it, it certainly has its flaws. Uh, and like I said, I think that the the more melodramatic elements uh, I think are the things that hurt it the most. Um, but by that same token, I think that it is a very influential film uh, and certainly one that everybody you know should see. Yes. Uh, even not even if you're not uh, strictly a, a fan of uh, crime films. Seven point what? Say again. Uh, Seven point five. Okay, nice, nice. Um, <clears throat> ooh, man, lost my voice for a second there. Um, that's Lionel. Yeah, that's Lionel coming out of me there. <laughs> yeah, why was she in three movies with Matt Dillon? Ah. <laughs> uh, my my MVTs and make or breaks are pretty much the same. Uh, Baron obviously is the MVT of this this whole affair for obvious reasons. He stars in, directs, and does a very good job at both. Um. Barring his bad running style, but he he is <laughs> he is very he is very talented. That's clear. Just unfortunately, the guy's a bit of a prick in real life. Um, my make or break is also I'll go with the apartment fight, but really any scene between him and and uh, Big Ralph, Ralphie. yeah, Big Ralphie is is really great, and they're all good. And you could also say the finale is really great. The uh, some of the stuff in the beginning is really great, but I think the finale and the scenes with Big Ralphie are really the make or break. So I'll I'll go with the apartment fight as well because it was very visceral. For the time period, it felt very overly violent. I mean, the guy gets an axe yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very horror movie-ish. You know, it's very interesting. So I've always liked this film, and I still like it. Um, I think it's one of the great films of its era. So I gave this film an 8.25. I really nice. do like it. I recommend it highly. Uh, regardless of Barron's uh, bullshit life outside of uh, the movie industry, he really struck gold with this one. And uh, you can see why Criterion grabbed it, right? I mean, it just it is literally uh, one of the types of movies they would pick up and, and put out um, because obviously so many people have been influenced by this thing. So, um, okay, that is our thoughts on Blast of Silence. We're going to take a short break and come back and talk about The Signal which also has a lot of score. Uh, <laughs> I think about the two, I always think about the two things that the films we pick have in common every week. And this one and that one both have a lot of maybe music, maybe too much music <laughs> for me. Anyway, we'll get to that. Uh, we'll be back right after this. I knew I took 
Something a little light for your ears this morning. There we go. I like the I like the cut of their jib. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. My son likes that song a lot. <laughs> we jam that quite a bit in the car. Nice. Yeah. It's always nice when a song comes out that's nice and heavy and brutal and doesn't cuss a lot. Yeah. Because yeah, it yeah. saves me a lot of trouble being a parent. <laughs> well, it also helps when you have that much growl. Yes. That's good. That's a lot of good growl there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some some solid growl. All right. Uh, that was all that remains, by the way. That song is called Safe House. Check it out. All right. Sound like I'm a DJ. Check it out. All right. Yeah. Uh, my Lionel Stander. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> the Signal. Again, caught with my pants down. Oh. That's the name of our podcast, by the way. Nice. But, I, you know, it doesn't take long to type it in here. <laughs> Again, caught with my to, pants down. Yes, caught with my pants down. <laughs> Don't recommend you type that in at work. <laughs> you get the get the lemon party. Oh, yeah. All right, the signal, twenty fourteen, directed by William Eubank, not Eubanks, yes. Eubank. And uh, on a road trip, Nick and two friends are drawn to an isolated area by a computer genius. When everything suddenly goes dark, Nick regains consciousness, consciousness, only to find himself in a waking nightmare. Mm-hmm. All right, so I picked the signal. Uh, I'd seen it a few years back. Uh, it's one of those things where I think I'd seen it at the right time, right place, and really enjoyed it. Didn't quite enjoy it as much the second time I watched it, but still liked it quite a bit. Um, I'm guessing I'll probably lead on this. I don't really have a whole lot to say about it, obviously, but uh, because this one's going to be a bit tricky. This is one of those movies where if you haven't seen it, and a lot of our audience might not have, um, a lot of it hinges on how the story plays out. Mm-hmm. So, unlike Blast of Silence, which pretty much is a genre movie and you pretty much know where it's going, this one is a genre movie, but it's a bit of a, uh, you know, it's pl- it's playing with, uh, you know, it's playing with story beats and doing those kinds of things. So, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it because I think a lot of your enjoyment in the movie might come from the fact that I, I think it um, it plays with you a bit. It's, it's, it's one of those kind of movies, right? It's kind of playing with you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, I'll talk about the movie a little bit. Now, the, me and Ty kind of joked about this off the air. Uh, we were joking about Brenton Waite, Thwaites being the uh, the lead, and I was saying, well, you know, he's Robin now. So, And uh, we were like, oh, yeah, that's right, he is Robin. We, you know, and Ty was like, oh, yeah, that's right. And we had forgotten completely that he is uh, Robin uh, nowadays on the Titan show. But he also yep. is um, – he, there's a very strong, to say the least um, – what do we want to say? Uh, Josh Hartnett vibe coming off yeah. of Britain. Hartnettian. He's Hartnettian, yes. Yeah. And yeah, I yeah. joked maybe with better hair. So. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's about the only thing. But, it's but no, true. He, he's good in the movie, and he, he's a pretty good actor. I enjoy his Robin. On uh, he, He's a little he's a little pained, maybe a little too emotional sometimes. Um, uh, maybe that young actor thing, a lot of angst. But, well, I think I like I think I like him better in Titans than this. I think in this, yeah. and maybe it's the writing more than anything else, mm-hmm. is that he comes off as excruciatingly arrogant. Yeah, he does. He does come off as that. I think I think one of the interesting things about this movie is uh, there's there's too much of the relationship maybe for what it's trying to do. But I found it interesting that it's one of those things where she loves this guy, the female character in the film. She loves this character, but it's obvious he's a very bitter. Uh, and maybe for obvious reasons, but still, uh, you know, I do think for obvious reasons. I think you are bitter when something hits you at a young age. I don't think you have the 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 maturity to process it yet. Mm-hmm. And she's at a bad spot, 
and he's in a bad spot and they're young and they're in their relationship and the process and things. And this isn't a giveaway, but at, at some point in the movie, the, the, so the film, some of the film was told in flashback and he was obviously an athletic kid, an athletic young man. But when we see him in the film for the first time, he's walking with the assistance of uh, some canes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's clearly had some type of back injury or possible congenital disease that has affected him and changed his life. And uh, he's a very smart kid, but he was also very athletic. I think they they talk about MIT, right? So these guys had been going to MIT, these two characters that are in the film. There's three characters in the movie, him and his best friend, it seems, and his girlfriend. Yes. Uh, Brandon Brandon Knapp is the friend, and he's the guy who was in uh, The Nice Guys, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes, yes. He was the really skanky uh, bad guy in in The Nice Guys. Bonap, Bonap. Bonap, sorry. Bonap, (laughs) Bonap. He was in Death oh, Wish, too. I didn't the, know you uh, knew French. Yeah. <laughs> He's oh, in, Tish. Oh, he was in Destroyer recently. You just saw that. So, Wait. He played the character of Jay in Destroyer. So I don't know if you if you remember. Obviously, he wasn't very striking in that because you don't recall. I honestly don't remember a minute. But he's got he's done a lot of stuff. That that actor has. He's been in a lot of stuff. So uh, He's got a pretty good face. He, I think he's probably got a mm-hmm. good future. He's, he's good in this film, too. Um, I do like the way the leads kind of hang themselves out to dry in this film i don't think the director hangs them out to dry too much i like the way they go full tilt in a lot of ways there's some scenes with some uh drooling and some ugliness that i kind of enjoy um larry fishburne's in the film we should say and uh he does his best morpheus slash larry fishburne impersonation (laughs) And, and then when i say that he's really good at showing menace without showing a lot of facial movement right yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's anybody better at being menacing without having much movement at all than Larry Fishburne. There's always he's something. almost he's almost Bronsonian yeah. in that way. There's something behind him, his face every time. There's something you feel like he's up to something all the time. Mm-hmm. And in this, there's a lot of great little little smile moments, little staring moments, and of course, Larry Fishburne does have a great voice. And yes. uh, there's a lot of great uh, scenes. I think some of the best scenes in the movie are between him and Brenton Thwaites just talking, and. Um, and kind of espousing and kind of moving the plot forward. Uh, also, it doesn't hurt that the spacesuit that he's wearing is very cool. The kind of containment suit is very cool. It's always cool when they have the lights on the inside, right? Mm-hmm. I always often wonder what it feels like to wear one of those. Like if those, that light would bother you. So, I think there should be like a a kind of a getaway sort of thing. Like you could pay like a vacation thing where you can do that. You mm-hmm. could just wear that suit around. Wear that suit, suit like around. That. Yes. Would that be weird? <laughs> uh, no, I think I'd I think I'd sign up for that. <laughs> so so the movie's a bit of a mystery and a bit of a it like I said it's playing with you. Um the mind fuck for the back, for the lack of a better word. I think that might be one of the ways it's it's, it's trying to do. But it, it 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 feels like a film made by a young filmmaker in mm-hmm. that it reminds me kind of like uh maybe not like Donnie Darko, which I think is a more complete picture and much more interesting. But in that vein, uh where it's kind of going for that, maybe a little uh certainly a little Richard Kelly-esque um, it's funny. I almost thought about, and the reason why I picked this over what I was going to pick for us to cover, I was gonna, actually I wanted to talk about the box. And the box, yeah, that's the I think it's the Richard Kelly film, right? The Cameron. Diaz. Oh, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa! I wanted to talk about that, but it's interesting that both these films are very similar, uh, and I didn't even realize that until you kind of brought up a a little little two words that a lot of our generation know something about called Twilight Zone. Aha! Uh-huh. Because there's a lot of Twilight Zone. In this film, 
and in the box. And uh, I believe that's what it's called, right? The box? Is that the Cameron Diaz movie? I think it is. Uh, yes. Or oh. the button? Oh, it's the box. The box. I, yeah. She uh, she hasn't really done much since then, has she? She don't really... I don't think she works much anymore. I'm going to look up the box real quick while I'm talking. But anyway, um, there's a little bit of that element uh, here. Yeah, that was 2009. That was 10 years ago, the box. Can you believe that? Lord. Richard Kelly, the box, Cameron Diaz, James Marsden, and Frank Langella. And I, I, I found the box interesting. I think a lot of people poo-pooed on it, but I, I found it very interesting. I thought it was okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's basically, it, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. 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 There you go. We'll <laughs> I think we'll that see. was succinct. Yeah, that, that was, we really know what we're talking about. <laughs> I want to see, I'm going to look at Cameron Diaz's uh, filmography and see what she's been up to lately. Because I am incredibly, so she did the box in 2009. Oh, she's done a lot since then. I, I feel like she hadn't done much, but she's done a lot. Oh, she did Night and Day, duh. The Green Hornet, Bad Teacher, all that kind of counselor. stuff. Counselor. Oh, yeah, The Counselor. She was in The Counselor. That was <laughs> very memorable. That was a movie. That was a movie. I enjoy The Counselor. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I know. Some people do not, but I enjoy it. <laughs> For all its idiosyncrasies, I enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, you, you can, I, it's inarguable that there's not a lot of movies like the counselor. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I found the film very well shot. Uh, one of the things you brought up when we were talking about the movie was it kind of goes to the well, well, I brought up that it goes to the well too much, but there are some scenes, some backstory done without narration, uh, to kind of go back to our last review. There is, uh, some scenes that kind of tell you about the past of these characters mostly the lead character and uh they go back to that well maybe one too many times uh possibly even more than one too many and it kind of gets a little malikian sometimes uh a little peter bergman put a little peter berg in there a little friday night lights a little you know going back and looking at nature and little uh echoey guitar yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a little too much of that going on. Well, it, yeah. I mean, it's like that. It's like when I was talking to you offline. You know, it's that. It's that really sort of indie schmindy uh, piano score kind of thing over the really sentimental scenes, um, and it's an aesthetic that. I, I I could take in very small doses personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that that sort of thing is um, uh, cloying. Uh, and I think that it, you know, it just, it, it feels like forced, uh, a forced sort of sentimentality. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's like telling you, oh, look at how these people are so in love with them, with each other. And with, oh, look at how they're just enjoying nature and look at how the, the dust falls in the forest and the light and the, and oh, here's a stream and oh, look at, oh, and we're just, I'm reaching out my hand to touch the sunlight now. And it's, oh, I yeah. can't take that. I just, I can't, yes. I it's, it's, it's something Maybe it's my cynical black heart. Um, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe, but maybe it makes perfect but sense. I, but I, I, I could take it in certain doses, and I think that when you when you say Malikian, I agree with that. But I also think that Malik does it a fuck of a lot better than just about everybody else who attempts it. Well, and I, I think, think that for think me, for me, for a lot of for a lot of younger filmmakers who are who who use this sort of technique, uh, it doesn't work because it feels like a sort of. Um, 
uh, forced affect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it feels like you know, th- like we have to do this because we're serious about this movie. And look at you know, and we're and I, I just it, it just it really it turns me off. And I think that you know, if it had just been in the beginning of the film, and you know, we and touched on here and there, yeah, I, I would I'd probably be able to to give it more of a pass. Um, but I agree with you. I think that they they definitely go to the well way too many times with it and it just it really just starts to get on my last raw nerve yeah by like the third fourth time i'm just like oh fuck come on (laughs) yeah well i think that a lot of filmmakers of this era uh the more modern film i think a lot of them are influenced by malik now because i think malik is making more films now yeah yeah i I don't think yeah i don't think any of them are, are really influenced by badlands as much as they are by like uh you know uh the tree of life sure Sure. Yeah, I think they're more. The it's more the newer Malik stuff because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you feel a lot of that, and uh, you know that Ridley Scott does some Malik type stuff. Sometimes he does that stuff every now and then, and there's always filmmakers out there that do it. I agree with you. Malik does it the best. I think uh, when I think about that too, uh, Andrew Dominic does it actually quite a bit. One of the things I didn't like about the uh, assassination of uh, Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford was way too much Malik mixed, mm-hmm. mixed in with my western that I didn't really want. And um, so I, I can see that. I can see where that does. And to me, that is one of the weaknesses of this film. It goes to the well, like I said, too many times. It really didn't need all that. I don't know how many times he looked at that river. At least four. Uh, at least, I, yeah. I don't know if it's a river or a flooding. I can't tell. It looks like a flood. I almost. believe it was uh, I believe it was a flood, yeah, like, like a, a flash flood, flood, flood going yes. through the area that he would normally be uh, running in. Yes. It was the way that I interpreted it. Um, but it, 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 it does go to the well maybe one too many times. So the key to the movie is really misdirection. Like the movie's messing with you. And I don't think in a bad way. Like I don't think it's like looking down on its audience. I think it's playing with you just the right amount for me. Um, the first time I saw it, I really had no idea where it was going. And uh, didn't know. Even when I did find out where it was going, I was like, what in the hell is going on? And uh, it's not overly. It doesn't. It doesn't give yourself total shock it's actually once the reveal kind of happens it kind of happens kind of kind of nonchalantly by accident mm-hmm. and it's very interesting to me that uh the way it kind of comes about um it so it you know it develops nicely for me but again i think some of that stuff yeah you know you can see the influence of modern filmmaking on the film all over the place there's even some of todd's favorite some shaky cam going on at one point yeah, there is. <laughs> but they don't that, that that doesn't hang around very long. It's really only in one little excerpt of the movie. And obviously, you can tell that, you know, modern filmmaking that Eubank is influenced by very much by that shaky cam stuff that the the Blair Witch kind of re, reunited with cinema because it it feels very Blair Witchian. Mm-hmm. Uh, old house, old rocking chair, stuff like that. Although there is a great moment that pays off later with some photographs that I found chilling uh to say the least. The first time I saw it, the second time I saw it, of course I knew. But, um, but I, th- I think the movie works overall. Um, I think it, it it's interesting. I think uh, outside of the fact that you know maybe the last shot looks like a Boston cover for an album, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. It's been a good chunk on that. Journey Escape. Yes, <laughs> one of those seventies bands with the sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. No, there there is some stuff in in, in it that. Uh, is never really fully explained, and I kind of enjoy that. I kind of enjoy that. I think the film could be better, but there is—I—I I, I don't know—as a nice little escape piece. Uh, the Lin Shay sequence is bizarre. Yeah. Um, the it isn't overly violent. I tell you, no, one, one no. other thing that 
kind of drives me crazy watching it the second time. There was a lot of time in that semi. I'd forgotten how much time was in that semi truck. Uh, more than you might expect. Yes. More than you may probably need it as well. Yeah. Although I will say that, you know, the action when it's done is done really well. Yeah. 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 I like when he, when he switches, uh, when Eubank switches to slow motion, he really makes very, very effective use. Yeah. He uh, uses slow, slow motion. motion. Well, it isn't, oh, yeah. it isn't overly done and it's a great way to kind of show, uh, power and momentum. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot of filmmakers use slow motion correctly. Sometimes they use it just for style, but a lot of times with slow motion, what you can really show is impact mm-hmm. and what that does to the human body or to the surroundings. And he does a really good job of using that here. Well, yeah, Peck and Paw taught us that, but um, you know, in that in that respect, and like we were like you were you know saying before, I, I do think that it's a very very nice looking film about seventy percent of the time. Yes. Um, that other 30%, uh, not so much, yeah. but I mean, there are some really, really, really nicely done shots in this thing. Mm-hmm. And then the story is very bare bones. It's very simple, especially after yes. you see the film, after you process the movie, you realize, okay, well, again, he was just playing with you the whole time. The film is actually really simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story is really simple. Uh, and maybe, maybe it needed to handle the pathos of the lead character, man, I'm popping my peas like crazy this morning. Maybe it needed to handle the, uh, the pathos of the character a little better, but I don't know. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. Uh, this time around though, it felt, I felt the length more and mm-hmm. I'm not knocking it for that, but I have to believe that that's because I knew the story sometimes with these kinds of movies. Sometimes, you know, it's like shutter Island. I love shutter Island. The first time I saw it, I loved it more the second time I saw it. Right. Uh, I've seen it since in bits and pieces. And I'm like, well, you know, we still got to go through this piece and that piece and everything else. Sometimes the trick, uh, it works better the second time. But sometimes the more you see the trick, uh, sometimes it can, it can. I, I don't know, it can deter you from the movie a little bit. Well, I think it does, and I think that 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 goes back to you know we've we've talked about this uh, in the past, you and I, about how the real you know uh, trick to a, a great movie is its ability to stand up over time, and I think that when they don't, uh, which this one doesn't um then you know i think it has a tendency or i think it points to at least in part uh that it's sort of empty Mm. um and i think that this is empty Mm. uh you know for for all of the uh for all of the emotion or emoting or whatever that we're supposed to be feeling you feel none and i think that once you start to really feel uh the length of a film especially on you know subsequent views it really starts to tell you how little there is going on it's it's a mile long and one inch deep is what it amounts to Mm. Um, and that's what, you know, that's what I take away from, uh, from this, uh, from this picture. I, I mean, I, I, come in about the same, uh, as I did the first time around, uh, which is, you know, not really holding it in the highest regard. I mean, aside from certain technical elements, yeah. uh, and, uh, certain visual elements, I, I don't really think there's a whole hell of a lot else to, to, you know, going on here, even though the film is trying to tell you that it is, yeah. or insisting uh, that uh, that there's more going on than, than there actually is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not one of the situations where mileage may vary depending on the personality, but it is. Sure, sure. I can see some of that, certainly. Um, I really don't have a whole lot more to say. I mean, I, again, I, I like a lot of the uh, the simplicity of the hallway stuff. I like that he's always, there's something very MacGyverish about our lead, so he's always kind of working math into his life and and everything like that so he's always working on something yeah uh, i like the uh i like some of those elements 
but uh, some of them went a little too far. So <laughs> okay, okay, all right. But that, uh, that, that, that's all I got. Let's kick it over. to Okay, you. all right, cool. Um, so a couple things, and I'm, I'm probably gonna reiterate a couple of things that we've already gone over. But um, so the setup is, you know, right out of a horror movie. Uh, it's three young people on a road trip being stalked by someone. Um, and then the hacker angle is what kind of veers it off into the the sci-fi realm. It's kind of like you know the last Starfighter, uh, but just way more sober uh, in certain aspects. Um, it's interesting or telling to me that I only get engaged once the weird shit starts happening. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it, it's good to have well-rounded characters. I like well-rounded characters, but there's just something about the approach in films like this that, you know, like I said, I find really cloying and formulaic. Uh, to a certain degree and it really really hurts it here um, and I really feel it just that much more uh, when I revisit it although I will say this I think that uh, Fishburne and Olivia Cook do bring their A game uh, or uh, at least you know Cook does whenever she's not comatose um, but she and Fishburne are really kind of the standouts for me hmm. uh, they seem to have a much more measured approach uh, to the material they kind of are I kind of get it where you know uh, Knapp and Thwaite don't quite they seem to kind of want to be themselves but in a sci-fi movie where the other two are like well this you know we're sci-fi characters in a sci-fi movie hmm. um, and I think that that you know had they been a little bit more on board or if I had been a little bit more on board with them, uh, I may have enjoyed it a bit more. Yeah. That might, um, that might be their arrogance too, though. Those youth, that those young, it could they, very well be. They are uh, very and, arrogant. And, you know, that's part of, that's part of where, uh, you know, that's part of the, the character. Certainly, uh, you know, his, the Nick character, you know, I get his frustration. Um, and I get that, you know, part of he's, uh, part of where he's coming from, uh, is that you know he's so much smarter than everybody else in the room? It's kind of like I don't know if you remember this one, but there was um, back when Peter David was writing, I think X Factor. There was a scene where uh, Doc Sampson was psychoanalyzing everybody, and the one of them was Quicksilver. Uh, and basically, he's sitting there putting a, a puzzle, to, like a, a five thousand piece puzzle, together while he's talking to him for two minutes. Yeah. Um, and he's basically telling him that. Uh, being as fast as he is is essentially the same thing as being at the end of a, the longest line you could possibly think of, mm. uh, and everybody else is just you know kind of standing there while you want to be at the head of this thing and be done with it. I'm yeah. paraphrasing, obviously. Obviously, um, but I get what you're saying. Oddly, oddly, you mention arrogance and Peter David in the same sentence. <laughs> I like Peter David, but uh, yeah, he <laughs> he can be a little arrogant, yeah, sure, just, just a little bit. <laughs> A little bit, uh, but he he also wrote uh, some of the best Hulk stories ever. Yeah, he did. Um, so uh, so yeah, so but so even though you know, and I, and I get the, the that about the character, and I get his frustration with uh, what happened to him uh, with his 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 spine or his legs or what have you. Um, you know that he lost the use of his legs, uh, you know, adds to his anger. But aside from giving him an obstacle in the film, it really kind of feels arbitrary. It, it kind of feels like the reason for a plot point. Uh, which I won't, you know, get yeah, into. Right. Um, Although that, that that that's weird because like I don't I can't figure out the the other side of that coin. Like his buddy, once he meets his buddy, he sees, you know, there's another side to that, right? So right, right, right. Yeah, and and that's what that's kind of what I mean about it being so arbitrary. I mean, there's no real yeah. Uh, there there's 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 meaning with his. There's no meaning with the other one. Yeah. Um. Or at least it seems that way. It seems that way. Yeah. 
so you know, certain things come up, and then and, and when I was watching it this time, I, I and I don't know if I noticed it the first time, but you know, I started to notice more. I started to pick at, I should say, more plot holes. Like, you know, how did this kid never notice uh, what happened to him until after he's recaptured? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, he's got the blanket, and he's. You, uh, I can't. I can't talk about it without giving it away. I know. <laughs> um, but I mean, how the fuck do you not notice that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then you know, and things like, all of a sudden, everybody knows how to drive a fucking tractor trailer. <laughs> yeah. like a couple of twenty-year-olds, uh, just because they they go to MIT, know how to drive a tractor trailer. Yeah. Fuck you, don't buy it. <laughs> um, so I mean, things like that. They they tend to stick out to me. Um, but uh, going back to you know uh, the interactions with Fishburne uh, and the the smarter elements like the MacGyver stuff like you were saying like figuring out the the keypad and and all that sort of thing, those are the things that attract me. Yeah. Um. I think the film does do a decent job building its mystery. Uh, it certainly has enough oddball elements like the Lin Shay character and the, uh, the the truck driver who I can't remember who that was played by. Um, Lin Shay has become the oddball performer. Oh my god! Yeah. Of her generation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and Fishburne at least is, uh, you know, he creates a character of these, uh, like reprehensible gray tones, right? Oh yeah. He's, he's, he's doing things and, you know, there's that malevolence, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's, he's moving with purpose, yeah. uh, where everybody else is just kind of tossed in. Um, and for all that the film does right or well for me. Uh, and I'm, you know, I've mentioned them obviously, uh, you know, I, I can't help but want to resist this thing. Um, yeah. And, and maybe it's the, that style of storytelling, like I was saying, maybe it's the, the lack of, for me, a compelling lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I find this whole thing pretty forgettable, yeah. uh, by and large outside of, you know, a couple of moments. You know, I found interesting uh, watching this time because we had just done a Kari XP one. It seems like everybody's walking in slow motion at the where's the spacesuits. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Yeah, good point. Which kind of makes sense at later on, right? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um but the film it it kind of insists on continually reminding me of how emotionally resonant it is when it just isn't. Um, and you know, so I, I detach from it and then I wind up just sitting there and I will just start looking for the faults in it, uh, mm-hmm. like I did, uh, you know, here, um, the final, the couple of reveals that we get are, are really nice. Uh, but like everything else in the film, it just, and uh, you know, I used this word before, it just feels really, really empty. Uh, and that's what I come away with this thing. It's really slick. Um, it's, you know, mostly good looking. Uh, it's got like one and a half good co- per uh, performances in it. Well, two if you add Lin Shea in. So two good performances if you include three people. Uh and then uh, you know that's that's the majority of uh, of what this film brings uh to the table. Um and yeah, and that's the majority of my feelings on it. Hmm. All right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see those sides of the I can see that side of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, and I, it's not to say that I hate it, even though it sounds like I hate it, but you know, I just don't. Yeah. Well, I think the key word you used was detached. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, detached doesn't mean hate. So that just no. means, you know, you, you eventually reach a point where, and this happens with anybody that watches a lot of films, including me. Once you detach, you detach and you start. Yeah, it does. The worst thing a film can do really yeah. is, you know, create apathy. But the only thing about detachment is, is like everything, detachment is subjective, right? Some people detach, some people attach. 
Sure. And there's not really much you can you can't predict. Listen, I, I'm uh, yeah, no, I'm certainly not saying that other people you know can't get yeah. a hell of a lot more out of this than I do. Yeah, but. yeah, that's why that's why I said the thing mileage may vary earlier because sure, sure. I think you're either going to attach yourself to the story elements and the performances and the structure, or you're going to detach, and uh, it, it really just kind of comes down to it because that's where I think I think this is one of those uh, weird films that way where it just you know I attached to it, uh, especially the first time I saw it. Uh, kind of detached a little bit the second time, mm-hmm. but um, still more attached to it than you were. So, okay, um, okay, so uh, okay, we'll get into here. Uh, make or break. It's gonna be a short show this week. How about that, man? Uh, well, I guess about two hours. No, 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 about an hour forty, maybe. You think? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. It's a good length. It's a good length. That's what she said. That is what she said. Yeah, uh, big enough, big enough to touch all the sides. <laughs> that's. <laughs> right. right, you only need three inches. That's what the scientists say. That's right. Thank God for that, because I wouldn't know. <laughs> that is what they tell me. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, no, uh, we're so sophomoric sometimes. <laughs> it's one thing you can get guys giggling about is penises. <laughs> it, it never fails. No. A lot of women, I think, sometimes think we joke around about women body parts, but nine, nine times out of no. ten, we're usually talking about our own genitalia. Yeah, it's fart jokes and peepees, like a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's always yeah, it's always those two things. Uh-huh. Uh, it's either insertion or expulsion. <laughs> it's, it's one of the two. <laughs> like a gazinta or a gazata. That's right. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> There we go. Uh, anyway, um, okay. So my make or break. Uh, I hate to make it the finale because I always feel like that's a bit of a cheat, but I really did like the finale. I liked where it kind of went. And unfortunately it's one of those things where it gets there and you're like, Oh man, now I could really kind of get into stuff. And it just leaves you with more questions than answers. But I enjoy that. Sometimes I like coming out of a cinema or walking away from movie experience, kind of asking questions more Mm -hmm. than I like having the answer sometimes. Uh, it's just the way my brain works. I like to always be thinking about stuff like that. And this film made me think. So I appreciated that. You know, it, it gets down to that famous quote, you know, what if all we see or seem is but a dream within a dream, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, we don't know what reality is. We think we know. That was Rodney Dan- James Dio? Uh, yeah. No, I think it was actually Rodney Dangerfield. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. Back in his middle How days. are you? <laughs> Let me tell you something there, Todd. Hey, uh, <laughs> I don't get no respect. <laughs> I'm doing a narration to uh, blast the silence here. <laughs> <laughs> if you want a broad, buy them. <laughs> yeah. If you want a broad, you buy them. That's right. Uh, anyway. Okay. I, I, I feel like Dangerfield would have used the term broad. Oh, yeah. 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 He definitely would have used the term broad. Big time. Check out these broads. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah, the finale is it. Uh, I really enjoy that. But really probably my favorite scene in the movie is the, the, the reveal of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like that. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to switch it up. I wrote down finale, but I'm going to switch it up and go with the, once the, uh, Nick character realizes what's going on, his mind's kind of blown and mine was too. The first time I saw it. Uh, and I like those effects. I think those effects look really neat. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, I like that that look of that apparatus for like for trying not to give it away. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, my MVT, I think the director, I think William Eubanks got a future. Uh, obviously, uh, I think he's got some talent. Uh, this he doesn't knock it out of the park, but I think his other film too uh, looked really nice. I didn't see it. I think it was called Love, and I think it was about a guy on a space station. 
uh, pining to go home. Um, uh, I have not heard of you've that one. Probably seen the poster, not seen the movie. I guarantee you've seen the poster. Maybe uh, I haven't seen that one. That was the last one he did. Uh, looks like he's a cinematographer by trade, and he's been directing movies. Oh well, that makes sense then. Yeah, Love and the Signal is his first two films. He's working on something right now called Underwater. Uh, but he seems to have a he seems to have a style. Uh, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very interesting. Actually, his new film sounds interesting. Underwater a crew of underwater researchers must scramble to safely uh, to safety after an earthquake devastates their subterranean tech laboratory. So wow, this cat really loves like stations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. bunkers yeah. and stations and yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, well, his his next movie is an eighty million dollar movie. I mean, that's how much it costs. I mean, of course, that's God, that, that's mid budget nowadays. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a drop in the bucket. Um, but I, I'd be interested to see this movie. Christian Stewart, T.J. Miller, Vincent Cassell's in it, so he could have a he could have a hit on his hands, maybe with uh, Underwater. But I think he's got talent. I think he can make a, you know, I think the barometer nowadays is, you know, could he could he work for Marvel? Probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he probably could make a superhero movie. I mean, there is oh, he absolutely could. superhero esque elements in this film, so. Yeah, but, I'm, yeah. but I'm interested to see that first film, Love, because it uh, it won some awards on the uh, independent circuit. So I'm I'm interested to go back and check it out at some point. I don't know if it'll be as interesting as this because it feels like a one person, one set type thing. But one hander. It's a one hander. That's right. <laughs> good thing it's only three, aren't they all? Good thing it's only three inches. Um, <laughs> too much too much work otherwise. Um, anyway, uh, my talk squ- about hand a glove. <laughs> I still like this film quite a bit. Uh, I enjoy it, and I think it just—it's different for the, the the a lot of the films that get made nowadays. And I really kind of appreciate that. And uh, while not perfect, I really enjoy a lot of it. So I'm going to give it an eight out of ten. Ooh, lordy, good for you. Yeah. Um, outstanding. All right. Uh, let's see here. Make or break for me is going to be the short scene between Larry and Lin Shay. Uh, oh yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I love it. It's so good uh, because it, it gets you know, like I said, that two of the best actors in the film doing this wonderful little bizarro uh, interaction uh, that's just great. Uh, and it's just it's one of those scenes where you're scratching your head and you're like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I, I love that, and I, I wanted more that um, in the film. Uh, MVT is going to be Larry Fishburne. Uh, I think that he is really great. He is the he's the uh, the thing that always uh, pep me up um, whenever he would appear uh, and go into his Larry Fishburneisms. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's just for me. He's what holds the the film together as much as it is held together. Uh, and, but I do agree with you. Movie. I do think yeah. that I do think the Eubank Eubank, excuse me. Uh, has a, uh, a great career ahead of him yeah, uh, as a director, if he so chooses. Uh, you know, and I think that he would be very wise to learn. Um, yeah, maybe not you know, as from, a writer. Stuff like this. Maybe not as a writer. His, I mean, of course, writing is something I think you get better with with time and the more you do. But yeah, unless you just make the mistakes, the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, you can you can not learn as easily as you can learn if yeah. you're not instructed. The two films uh, he's made, he both wrote and directed. So right, right. the next one he's making, that one I was talking about, Underwater, he didn't write Underwater, that. yeah. Yeah, he didn't write that. So we'll see. What uh, he can I am interested in, in seeing that one. Uh, definitely. Love, maybe not so much, um, just based on what I'm looking at here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Yeah, no, I haven't seen that poster, funny enough. Um, 
but regardless, uh, I do think that yeah, he could uh, he could definitely have a, a an interesting uh, career ahead of him. Certainly, uh, you know, well at, at, at the very least, visually, uh, if not as a uh, uh, let's say visionary uh, sort of uh, yeah. sci-fi filmmaker. Um, and score for me is uh, obviously it's going to be lower. Uh, it's a six out of ten. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, just not. Uh, not what I was hoping for. Didn't make it. Uh, didn't make it for me. Um, and, uh, and 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 listen, just because I, I I don't think that I should need to say this, but just because I shit on something doesn't mean other people. <laughs> well, I don't think uh, I, I don't think a six. Out of, I don't think a six out of ten is shitting on anything. <laughs> well, if you give it a, if you give it a four out of ten, I think that's okay. Four out of ten. I gave it a four out of ten. No, uh, no, I'd stick with a six out of ten. I do think the visuals uh, mean a lot to this film. Um, as, as far as what I get out of it, as well as, uh, Mr. Fishburne. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely mileage may vary on this thing. Um, and it really, I guess it depends on your level of expectation, uh, and, or tolerances for certain, uh, popular aesthetic choices, uh, yeah. really yeah, is yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah. Um, but not a horrible movie, just, no. uh, you know, just not great for me. He possibly needs to find his own way a little bit, like all the talents there, but you know, like, like you said, to me i feel like this is a young filmmaker maybe a little too inspired by you know malik and some people like that i think he doesn't need i don't think he needs that stuff i think he's fine uh with the basic bare bones stuff i think he shoots uh you know all the stuff that isn't malikian in this i think he shoots it great so yeah 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 but we'll see we'll see what he does we'll see how underwater goes and we'll see what but we might be hearing from mr eubank again someday yeah i would like to we'll see I'm always willing to give everybody another go. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could end up in TV like they like almost sure. every director does nowadays. <laughs> because you know, if you if you try to make original material nowadays, you almost without fail end up in television. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's only like two or three genres you can make movies in. <laughs> um, okay, so that is the show this week. Um, we hope you enjoyed it. Don't really have much more to say. Don't know what we're doing next week. None of it. <laughs> so. We'll see what happens, but uh, yeah, I don't have anything. You got anything? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I do either. I mean, I I just don't have nothing. <laughs> Man, we, <laughs> we are fizzling out. We don't promote things like we used to, and the, the the world of podcasting has changed quite a bit. Like most, of, so I've had I've had the question asked to me, how come I don't play a lot of the promos for other podcasts anymore? Well, there's a reason for that. One of the reasons is a lot of the podcasts with exception of maybe three don't really put out shows anymore. Uh, and when they do, it might be like once every couple months or something like that. Uh, only a couple of shows that I did promote or we did promote, um, actually do it on a regular basis. And even we don't do a regular basis. Let's be honest. So I just kind of dropped the promos. Plus they're the same old promos. I got tired of listening to them. Look, you know, I mean, (laughs) if you, if you, you know, whatever, I mean, you know, take it how you want to. Um, I've never really been a big fan of the radio show aesthetic of a podcast. I've always been more of a big fan of just the content. So I've just kind of slimmed it down to bare bones. You know, we talk about movies. We have an intro. We have an outro. We have a couple songs that I play, and we move on. Lean and mean. Lean and mean. But there are a lot of great podcasts out there, and if you've heard uh, a lot of our promos over the years, then check those guys out. If not, uh, check out some other stuff. I mean, it's easier to find podcasts now more than ever, so... Um, there's plenty of stuff out there. Um, so, you know, to all of our friends, I don't mean it as an insult. I just dropped them because honestly, uh, 
I got tired of playing them. <laughs> no offense to you guys. Just got tired of playing them. <laughs> it just, oof, I couldn't listen to them anymore. <laughs> uh, even doing them live, I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, so, yeah, that's the big show. Uh, we'll come back next week with whatever we're watching. Uh, we'll see. Like I said, Todd and I always got to figure it out. You know, I know there's a hundred million movies out there, but for some strange reason, we struggle to figure out what we're going to cover. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It is weird, isn't it? I think the the element of having Will, the third wheel, I think of the element of always having the third wheel once he comes back, not the, not the third will, the third wheel, uh, <laughs> helps because then they we get the out of left field. You know, even if I'm, I'm the third wheel that week or you're the third wheel that week, that, that helps kind of, you know, get us going in a direction. I think sure. it was just me and you over and over again, or just even when it was just me and Will over and over again. I can tell you, we struggled sometimes. <laughs> like we want cover, man. Like that was a great thing about the show sponsorships was that you know that that gave us a roadmap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now that some of those have died down quite a bit, like Arrow doesn't nearly send us as much stuff as they used to, um, for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. Um, which is a shame because I still think they do great stuff, but. Uh, that's become a difficult thing. So whatever, we still got a lot of arrow stuff we can do. Uh, maybe I'll mm-hmm. pick something from that batch uh, this week. Maybe there's some stuff there I want to talk about. Still, um, okay. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. All right, uh, I'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com